0: Hey, this is Gareth Webb, and you are listening to Breakout, a show aimed at cutting through the hiring noise and breaking down best practices. We'll also be tapping into the minds of other industry leaders so you can ensure your business makes the right critical hires the right way. Good evening, everybody. Thanks for coming. Thank you for getting out of your sweatpants and into jeans to come and see us. For those of you that don't know me or us, I'm Gareth. I'm the founder of OutScout. We're a technology talent uh, matching business here in Austin. Can everyone hear us okay? Yeah, cool. Um, we're yeah, a three and a half year old uh, small technology talent matching business here in Austin, but we help companies across the US, uh, mainly VCP-backed uh, high growth technology brands, Uh, We also work with a number of public and enterprise uh, technology businesses, really with what we call critical hires, um, anything from a very complex individual contributor through to a VP, SVP. I want to thank, firstly, our panelists who have come in from New York, Seattle, Dallas and Austin. Um, Thank you for your eagerness to get involved and help and collaborate. Um, Also, I'd like to thank everybody that's come. Um, appreciate that you're extremely busy and we've got a long weekend ahead. Um, why are we doing this? So A lot of people ask us why we're going to do these events and we're going to be doing podcasts and an event uh, digital webinar series. Uh, no one can argue with me that in the last three years, hiring has got any easier. Um, scaling companies, teams has arguably become more difficult each year and everyone, everyone, everyone knows that, especially in the last two years. Uh, we're here to basically try and enable and help the talent acquisition, founders, technology community to uh, get better at hiring and um, streamline their people ops through the, the ever-changing conditions. Um, we, One of the key reasons we wanted to do this is to be kind of a source of truth or a place where people can continuously come and share ideas, not just in the kind of textbook manner of how do you get better at hiring and scaling teams. but Kind of a bit more real world uh, where you can hear from subject matter experts and actually practitioners are doing the job and dealing with what arguably also is probably one of the more um, thankless tasks in an organization. So, you know, short term wins, lots of disappointment, uh, ever changing expectations. Um, And yeah, you know, everybody needs us to be doing more and getting better all the time. So, we're here to support that. not only just through our service, but also in, in doing things like this. So, again, thank you everybody. We'll get started. Uh, can we look at the itinerary? We'll go through. This is the first panel, which is startup and uh, scale up hiring. We have Natalie Ledbetter from Bold Start Ventures uh, in New York. Bold Start make seed stage and series A investments into uh, technic- technical founder led businesses. Uh, they're very successful. And uh, Natalie's got a very unique skill set of getting technical founders to understand and appreciate talent acquisition. Uh, which we'll talk about in sec and um, Israel Gutierrez from Axios, which is a fairly new uh, specialized news brand for more uh, impartial and uh, hyper-localized news distribution. Coming from New York Times prior, so quite an interesting story from large to small. Let's get started. Natalie, let's get started with you. Um, How do you get technical founders to understand the value of hiring people in a
1: zero to one capacity? Yeah. So uh, the job that I have right now, so basically I have been an operator in um, three different startups in New York City. um, And part of what I wanted to do was get a Another view of the ecosystem, of the tech ecosystem. And so um, two years ago, right before COVID, I joined a um, a technology VC. So as as Gareth was mentioning, um, we make investments in technical founders at the seed stage. And what that looks like is basically 90% of our investments are pre-products. And about 50% of those are pre-incorporation. So we're really investing in a good idea and a person, right? So I would say I'm pretty lucky because I have um, a lot of founders who are very open and um, interested in learning the best practices. But at the same time, they understand um, just by them you know, testing it out on their own, testing out how to how to recruit on their own, um, how hard it is out there. And so, um, we call it teaching them how to fish. So essentially what I do is, is basically sit down with every single one of our companies and build a process with them. Um, I think at the seed stage, it's a little bit different if you are coming in a little bit later, um, you know, where they have people ops and things like that. I am, I come in where there's, two people, three people, and take sort of that people ops piece off their, um, off their plates. And so um, a lot of what I do is actually just um, consulting with them, showing them that like one of the biggest things, which I think Gareth just kind of hit on was, um, you know, we have been in an employer's market since World War II. Um, we are now in an employee's market, um, meaning the dynamics have switched around, um, who holds the power basically. And if we have 2% of the population leaving, uh, the workforce, um, every month, basically in the United States, which, uh, also impacts diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging um i basically work with them sit alongside them build alongside them and help them architect uh you know what are fair equitable processes that are not only um not only challenging but that have rubrics that align with kind of you know what they're trying to do as a company what the culture that they're trying to build, what the aspirational piece of the culture is as well. um, And how do we like tie all of those things together? So um, I am actually very lucky in that a lot of our technical founders, so my founders are basically all engineers or technical product managers are very, very, very open um, to, to, me basically explaining all of these different things. And at some times I actually get into their ATSs, I build process for them just to show them a good example of what uh, a good interview process actually looks like. Um, And then the training wheels go off and there they go. There they go. It actually happens really organically and it's very, it's been very interesting. So.
0: Very good. And you mentioned it, that you are trying to build equitable programs and uh, ensure like de and is considered almost day one. Like is that, an, is that a subject matter you get pushback with again because they're trying to ship fast and they're trying to hire yeah. the best? best? Like how, how, how can you impart like, the wisdom to make sure those programs are delivered day one?
1: Well, I, I think that's a great question because at the end of the day, if the founder or the founder CEO if that is not an important thing to them, because we we basically say 80% of culture actually comes from the top. And I think we've seen that through Uber. I think Uber is a great example. Um, Travis definitely, one of my colleagues uh, was one of the only people who survived uh, uh, working in the C-suite with um with Travis, and he had a cocoon of people around him telling him not to do these things, not to say these things, you know, and the toxicity still got out. So it, it really comes from the top, and that's one of the biggest things I say, um, and I tell my founders, like, if it's not important to you, if you see this as a box check- checking like uh, scenario, um, let's not even talk about it. Let's not even let's not make it a big, huge thing because you don't really care. At the end of the day, if you do not have their investment, it's it's performative. At the end of the day, so um, so with them, the ones that actually are really um, interested in building and um, in, in building like more equitable types of companies, you know, we do a ton of work around frankly, around how to build an equitable recruiting process and uh, things like that. And how do we benchmark candidates? Are we doing this in a fair way? And a lot of it comes down, honestly, at the end of the day, a lot of it comes down to talent acquisition. Um,
0: Going back to the coaching, guiding, um, you've gone from a huge organization to a much smaller, higher growth organization where, Scaling is kind of the, the most imperative piece, I guess. Getting people in there to build and shit. What have you? What have you taken from your larger organization into a smaller, slightly uh, less well-known organization to influence on like the i program early?
2: Even at times, we were scaling rapidly. <laughs> right. Uh, in the couple of years I was there, we we grew from I don't know, maybe four k to six thousand globally, okay. and maybe seven thousand. Not really too sure, but um, you know, the times have they have multiple products in the space. the the their their go to market approach is different and involves quarter over quarter. So we, as recruiters, as the brand investors, we need to adjust our messaging so we're uh, going to the market in, in, in different ways and bringing that aspect to Axios, where we're in the same space. We're another news media company. Uh, giving you news smarter and faster and more efficient in, in our app and various newsletters. Um, but it's it's very similar to how we are going to market and what the, uh, the struggles of a, whether it be a news media company today or a, a fintech startup or a VC, whatever it may be, everyone has the exact same hiring problems, especially in this market where we've never seen it like this before, i.e. 2021, um, where, <laughs> yeah, and it's indicative of the inflation that we have today and and how comp packages are increasing and, and what we're doing to be creative in our approach to a fair and equitable compensation package. But to answer your question specifically around, you know, if there's one big thing that I've been, I've taken from the Times to implement immediately at Axios is around employer branding yeah. and how we can, uh, you know, Axios is... Five years old. not a big company. We're five hundred actually. We're we're approaching our five hundredth hire, so about hundred hires every year, which is super exciting. Um, but um, it is it's growing rapidly. And so, how do we adjust employer branding so that we're going to the market, letting candidates know, even tech candidates know this is who we are, this is what we're doing, and this is the exciting technology that you're going to work on that powers the platform of smart, fast breaking news to benefit communities that we serve.
0: How are you doing that when a lot, I, speaking personally, a lot of people are disenfranchised with news for various reasons? Um, how are you ensuring that your positioning is getting rid of, I guess, the candidate bias about what they might want to do next? And like, how are you overcoming that?
2: The candidate kind of bias in
0: regards to like, oh, I don't want to work in news because I'm disenfranchised with news, and then you, you you're, you're building a better news platform. How are you how are you getting that across? Yeah, I mean, we're a driven mission organization, and right. our newsroom has a slew
2: of, of rules and ethics that they apply to their journalism, uh, and we let our candidates know it's all on our website. Go to it. This is how we write our news. This is how we produce our news, uh, and it's really exciting when you're uh, talking to a tech candidate, and they're passive, they're not looking, and of course we're like, trying to source them out and like, really trying to sell them on the Axios mission. And they're like, okay, yeah, yeah, but tell me more. And then like that's like that little open door where you're like, great, here's what we're doing and how we're doing it a little bit better, a little bit more unique than other digital media outlets. And little by little, you gain that trust with the candidate. You gain that rapport with the candidate and build that relationship so that when it comes to the technical assessment. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, am I really gonna have to do six, uh, a 60 minute coding exercise yeah. with someone blah blah, 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 It's like, yeah, yeah, but this is the technology you're gonna work on. This is the platform that you're gonna be operating in. These are the systems and tools that you wanna work on today. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, cool. And little by little, you
0: get them in. <laughs> little by little. Um, with, Natalie, going back to Bold Star piece, you, you, you coach from day one, mm-hmm. but you stay with them right through like some of your portfolio companies, you stay with through Series C, D, and beyond. Yeah. Like, where do you see at each stage, like let's say from A to B to C? What are the typical failings that you see, or the, or the adjustments that need
1: to be made? So I um I work mostly with the um, with the seed founders, mm-hmm. the earlier stage people. I I have relationships with the people ops leaders, because that's what I did before I joined BC. Um, uh, But I mostly work with the seed stage people, um, seed seed stage companies, I should say. And um, I don't know, there's a a lot of education that goes into this entire thing. And I think one of the biggest things is, um, you know, as a first, especially a first time founder, you are thinking, I need the shiniest toy. Like I need the best people coming from the best companies that are the most senior um, and things like that. And actually that is a huge um, mistake that a lot of seed founders make. Because at the end of the day, um, when you are at that stage, your goal should be putting your head down and building and it's about execution, and it's about speed. And if you don't have those two things, which, honestly, if you're pulling in more, um, like, uh, you know, if you're pulling in, I've seen this happen multiple times, you're pulling in executives from large uh, large companies, um, they no longer, they haven't been, because they've been moving up this ladder, they haven't touched the actual execution on the ground where they have all that they've had teams doing those things. And so those people, if, if you bring those people in too early, you're, you literally, you're spending a ton of money and you're not getting anything done. So the biggest thing I would say is like, from a DNA perspective, we are looking for people who can execute. We're looking for builders and people who can execute and do that quickly. And I would say the other piece, like from a DNA perspective, is just that um, they are multi-talented. You'll hear probably me say this lots of times, but we, um, we look for what we call Swiss Army Knives. Um, and we'll talk about, I know a little bit about this with the chief of staff role, Um, But the Swiss army knives are the people that you get so much mileage out of. And I don't call them generalists anymore because I think that insinuates that they are mediocre. And what I'm talking about is a person who is good at it. So many things that you could say, write a blog. Can you figure out how to do a landing page for this event? Can you figure out how to, um, you know, figure out a lease for this one spot? Those people are gold in an early stage company. So I think it's more about, like, reframing what what you need in those early days because I can, like, after A, after Series A, after Series B, after Series C, those profiles change phenomenally and um so so what i would just say is like d it, it's all about the dna of those early stage people who are builders people yeah. who can build from scratch
2: we're in we're in series d and a very similar yep. type of swiss army profile yep. we call it activator mm-hmm. or gallup strengths uh okay, what well. uh, activator okay. yeah uh and so that's uh one particular trait that's embedded into literally every single interview on uh, how how much does this person scale on the spectrum when it comes to the activated profile?
0: Yeah, we've, I think we've got a couple of chief of staffs in here tonight, and oh, yes. uh, we spoke about it. Um, sorry, my mic's going funny. Nati and I spoke about it, I think, a year ago. Yeah. Um, that there was a very clear trend that the chief of staff hire yep. has gone from, like, White House to Microsoft, Google, and then down into, like, super early stage business. Yep. Um, it basically allows founders and execs to scale themselves out um, across the business, especially within distributed teams. Um, do you want to talk about like how you've seen that trend increase?
1: I mean, look, like uh, I have just, it's actually blown my mind over the last two years. I have seen that be in the first five players multiple times. And if it is not like a, like the traditional chief of staff, uh, who's the chief of,
3: who, who are the chiefs
1: of staff? They're over here. Uh, traditional chiefs of staff—you know—have MBAs. They are, frankly, on a path to COO, CEO, whatever it may be. Um, they're highly business-minded, and the founder or the CEO steps away for a moment you're in charge, right? And like people understand that you get the business, you can connect all the dots between the technology that you're building and the business. Um, And so you can become like the face of the company if the founder is doing doing a roadshow, raising funds, whatever it may be. But it's been really interesting to see this. I'm starting to see this in the first five hires um, because in, in, and again, going back to the fact that my founders are very, very technical, um, these are business minded or, uh, business minded, um, people who can come in and have the ability to not only like back up the CEO, but also spread the message of, um, of, uh, how do you connect those dots? Cause that is one of the Biggest things that I feel like um, companies do not do a good job of is a le- like figuring out how, how do you create the drumbeat where at every all hands you are talking about this is what how engineering impacts revenue, this is how product management impacts uh, you know whatever other numbers, and being able to tie that all together is. It's hard. Most people are not wired that way. So having a chief of staff in place who can actually come out and explain that to everybody. That is actually the sticky part of keeping those early stage, you know, uh, early stage employees super engaged is, is having someone who can who can basically again connect the dots between all of those things. Um And just make it very clear, kind of where their work is going.
0: Yeah, Israel, you said you you've noticed you saw the trend happening at New York Times, and you've seen it happening at Axios as well. What are the what are the things mm -hmm. at the stage you're at in Axios that 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 warrant potentially like a layer of cheaper staffs? Like, what are the things you've observed the problems of scale that probably would be fixed by cheaper staff?
2: Yeah, when I was uh, at the Times we started implementing chief of staffs across the different business functions, mostly in within the house of the C-suite that they were supporting. Um, coming into Axios, there were two chiefs of staffs and we we're 500 people. And we're already <laughs> talks of a third and a fourth chief of staff role. So the when the, I saw this conversation, when this question came up, it, it just made me smile. <laughs> because uh, personally, from on the leadership standpoint, from a recruiting front, being three, two and a half months, three months in at Axios, I'm still learning and understanding and navigating the Axios ecosystem that we have. And I go to our chief staffs and I'm like, what's going on? Can you tell me the secret sauce, please? Uh, Because they are the ones who are in those, in in those closed door conversations with the co-founders, the CBO, CRO, et cetera. And from a recruiting standpoint, I need to know when we're going to maybe unlock another series or get additional revenue that will unlock additional headcount, which means I need more recruiter headcount. Uh, And that happened in the first three, four weeks I was there. And so I said, okay, cool. I need four more recruiter headcount. Here's the data. Here's why. And it was really easy to get it. So
0: Um, yeah, we see, we see it from seed series, a quite prolifically in the pre IPO space and the kind of bigger public companies. Um, and they're super helpful for us as well as external partners, uh, mm-hmm. as eyes and ears. Um, and they actually have phenomenal amount of influence as well, because I think once they're trusted by the execs, then they just like use them as very quick proxy for a decision. That's right. Um, uh, which we like, um, so cool. Um, yeah, I think one of the things that I want to get back to a little bit is about founders, like how do you make a founder, uh, or, or an early stage exec? Go from just being pretty good at understanding hiring to actually being very very good at themselves we we'll talk about that later in the um, in the enterprise discussion but like what what do you what do you have to say to resonate with them to get them to fully buy into it and to get them to actually like treat it as a fundamental practice
1: honestly I think it's they'll try it on their own yeah. first and then they will be like I don't understand what's going oh, on no, no one, one. Uh, is applying to our jobs which is always a fun thing which is always fun with like early stage founders. And I I love my founders, but honestly, you know, you can never call their baby ugly ever, ever. Um, And so, uh, so a lot of it is like leading by example, but it's a lot of it, it's, it's data too, right? Like it's, it's looking at their funnel and positioning it like a sales funnel. Like I think of recruiting as sales. And so looking at like, what's actually happening in the funnel, and then just saying, let's adjust this one thing, or let's experiment with like, okay, this source isn't working, let's move the money over. We, we know this one other source is doing really well. Let's just move our money over there, or let's test an event. Let's test you know a, a myriad of different, different things. I, I think if there's one big takeaway right now, It's experimentation across the board. Um, None of us have been in this position before. None of our parents have been in this position before. Uh, This is a brand new market, Um, and so I think, like, I I, like I said to Gareth, I was like, I just say to my my um, founders, like, flip the script. Whatever you were doing before is not going to work. Meaning, and like a great example, I feel like would be, you know, um, when it was an employer's market, you could talk product, product, product. This is how cool our product is. It's awesome. Product, product, product. Here are the things you need to have like in your back pocket to get this job. Now it has to actually flip to what's in it for the candidate. Like what can you provide as a business? To this candidate, and then talk a little bit about the product. But it is about how much are they going to grow? Like who? Like what? What type of an environment are they coming into? Like how much impact are they going to have? That's what you actually have to uh, like lean into and make sure that you're like pointing to more than more than saying like we have this really cool product. You should join us because like our products like. Have you seen it? It's awesome. Like that, that kind of stuff, you know, there's plenty of amazing products out there right now. Uh, even the ones that no one knows about yet, amazing products out there, but those people still can't even um, hire until they start flipping the way they're thinking about this. Like your baby is not the cutest baby to every single person.
3: So you, you, you,
1: what's in it, it for them?
2: Yeah, you hit it on the nose. It comes down to data.
3: Yeah. You need
2: the data to yep. influence your founders at these early stages. Prior to the times, I was at this company called Dot Dash. Does anyone remember About.com from like, the old days? <laughs> <laughs> Not kidding. <laughs> so, About.com turned into Dot Dash, um, and, which is now Dot Dash Meredith. And they've grown so much. They're literally America's largest digital and print publisher. Um, but I was at Dot .dash prior to the times, and I led recruiting there. Um, Started from scratch, there wasn't that much uh, dashboarding or not a lot of data. And I remember going to the very first exact meeting, this was like three weeks in, and I showed a recruiting dashboard of talent acquisition data year to date. And the CFO looked at me, I hope he sees this one day, but he looked at me and was like, you have a lot of time on your hands. And I was like, this is what? what you can expect from me yeah. and my team going forward. Yep. You will expect this. This yep. is what you. This is the level of service that you will receive. And granted, dot dash at this time, I was like employee two twenty, uh, and in two years, uh, when I was there for two years, we I left at like six hundred employees, and then supported the team through five acquisitions of five additional mm-hmm. brands. So it was a lot of hyper growth, right? But in order for us to get to work through all of these hyper growth stages. We needed the data up front so that the execs knew exactly where we were from a recruiting velocity standpoint, how we were able to forecast ahead so that we can make smarter hiring decisions. Um, But I'll never forget that quote from that CEO. And
4: that is
1: the beauty of later stage versus earlier Mm -hmm. stage is we don't have the level of data, which is why it pushes us to just experiment um, I've been in later stage organizations where it where, like it's clear as day, like what we need to do here because we have all these numbers that we can like a, a, you know analyze and figure out like where are we losing people? Why are people unhappy? What are all these things? But when it's early stage, it's also a lot of like it just becomes experimentation because you just don't have the information yet. So it's testing. It's always testing. And I would just say. Um, one thing, and I think this is um, kind of a good lesson for anyone who's run people operations, so really kind of uh, own the suite of HR, talent acquisition, anything with learning and development and uh, culture, even all the way to facilities, is to treat it like you are building software. Um, and I think that also resonates with Uh, you know, you're more technical, you're engineers, et cetera, is that, look, here's the deal. We are building products just like you. The product that we're building here is performance reviews. And so what we're going to do is we're going to roll out performance reviews. This is V1. We're going to get your feedback. We're going to take it back. We're going to iterate back on it again. Then we're going to do V2, survey you again, and then we're going to continue to tighten up and increase... Uh, those things, but like, that's the difference between early stage and, and late stages. We just don't have all the data yet. Oh. Yeah. I would love,
0: I would love more data. Um, we, uh, before we get to questions, I want to ask both of you, like, what do you see as your biggest hurdle, it's coming. <laughs> your biggest hurdle for the next 12 months in your role?
2: Scaling. Um, 100% scaling. Scaling in this very unique market. Um, and how we're able to continue to make sure that our DEI practices are in place so that we're hiring efficiently. We're hiring for the right talent in the right spots and the right places of the company. Uh, everywhere from, you know, how we reward. When I look at DEI, I think about diversity is what you have and inclusion is what you do with it. Exactly. And equity is how you reward. Yep. And so let's look at these different components uh and drill down on how we operate with these and recruiting is at the forefront of it all that's right and so um scale and keep those di practices in place and natalie
1: um biggest challenge for i I would say um is is a recent challenge so um so we have seen uh over through covid this um going from Um, employer market to i mean in September alone, I think we had 4.7 million people leave the workforce in the United States. And we know that, and this goes back to the DEI piece, we know that most of those people are women who have children. They are people of color who can't uh, can't afford uh, daycare, which is ridiculously expensive. And all of those things, so we're also our pool of... Um, you know, unique thought and different backgrounds, et cetera, is getting like smaller and smaller and smaller. But now, like today, I am calling what we are in right now purgatory because none of us have any ideas. We've got inflation happening. We've got interest rates changing. Now we're starting to see the reductions in force. I mean, we're seeing Robinhood, Cameo, Klarna, all these big companies, Peloton, all starting to lay off. Then we have all the companies that IPO'd during uh, during COVID. They're all tanking. I mean, they are all tanking. And so now we're in this place where we're everybody's just. I think everybody has to sit back and just wait and watch because we don't know what's going to happen. This, this, and this is new. This is literally probably about six weeks old. I'd say we are new. We are now in this very odd place where I don't think anybody knows what's going to happen. And so my advice to our founders is don't go crazy on hiring, like pull it back, rein everything in. Um, and, Basically, scale needs to... Everybody needs to stop with the heavy hiring and just focus on building the product at this stage with the people that you have to have there. Because, I I mean, the layoffs are insane now. And we were fighting fighting for talent a month and a half ago. And so it's just... That's what I would say is the biggest challenge for me right now is, do I advise my founders to just, like, grab these layoff lists and just, like, blow them out, go after all the engineers, go after all the product people, or do we say, okay, buckle up, we don't know what's going to happen, everyone just pause what they're doing. And we have decided to basically tell people to, everyone needs to just chill out for a bit. Your hiring, like, has to just calm down for a second. If, obviously, if there are milestones you have to hit, and you need people to hit those milestones, clearly you want to hire those people. But for the most part, we're just telling people to wait because no one knows what's going to happen.
0: That's good advice. Um, thank you very much. Um, we? We got microphone ready to whip around. Um, questions? Anybody? Israel, honestly.
4: Um, I'm not sure if this was brought up before uh, I was late. My Uber driver, <laughs> he got rear-ended on the way here. So everyone's fine, but um, here now. Uh, yes. yes, <laughs> um, I'm not sure if quality of hire was brought up. And if not, uh, I'm curious to know um, what you are doing or what you were telling founders to do and how to measure it. Say again, sorry. Um, quality of hire. So, maybe what you have been doing to measure it, or what maybe you're communicating to founders and,
2: and how to, to measure it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you will have a different answer. I
4: will. I will. I will have di- yeah, yeah. We'll have different
1: answers just purely because of the stage of yeah. companies that we're working with. So, I mean, from,
2: from a quality of hire standpoint, uh, looking at your ATFs and looking at the job boards yeah. that you're plugged into, um, there's those automatic job boards that that most ATSs are automatically plugged into, like the Indeed, Glassdoor, Monster, et cetera. Uh, But any other external job boards that you're plugged into, what's the ROI on it? Career fairs, job fairs, uh, employee referrals, what is the ROI on all of these things? How are you measuring them? I I think that there's a theme coming up here where it's it's just the data aspect of it all, especially in this small to mid-sized company where, where you are probably on, one or two recruiter one or two recruiting team, right? You you're you're by yourself, right? You're you're in the trenches with one or two other people. So how do you utilize the data? So you can go to you know maybe your CHRO or some of your CRO and say, here was the ROI from this investment from Black Girl Who Code, or here's our ROI from when we intended Grace Hopper. And here's why we need to do it again. Uh, and here's how it's increasing our employer branding presence. This is the number of hires we're able to get from it. X, Y, and Z. So I would uh, I would approach it in, in those aspects. And oh, go
1: ahead. go for
4: it. Um, I guess I was more specifically curious about like the post hire and
1: how you measure mm. so, quality of hire. Okay, post. I love this question. I actually got this question from a uh, a CFO of like a Series B company the other day, and um, so he was asking me um, how much he should pay his uh, head of TA, uh, talent position. And um, he sa- I said, well, what are you thinking about? And he was like, he said a number and then he said, there's a percentage that's a bonus too. And I said, well, what is that bonus attached to? And he said, it's a number, number of hires that you've made. Obviously, I think that's a good, like good, good benchmark. And then the other one was quality. And I said, "Quality, interesting. How do you rate quality? And also, who gets to decide that? I just, I'm just curious. Who gets to decide that? Oh, well, we have a performance review. A person gets a number, and then um, you know that that basically tells that, us how uh, quality they are as a." Person, worker, I don't know. And I said, interesting. So you trust all of your managers. You think that all of your managers are strong enough as managers to be able to say if this person is quality or not. And my response was, that's all bullshit because it's subjective. It's all subjective. So my perspective is I wanna understand what does quality of hire mean and what are the actual numerical, like how are we doing this from a quantitative perspective? Because the problem is when it becomes subjective, which is what usually quality of hire um, becomes, like who wins? It's the people who are the loudest people. It's the people who uh, I see some heads nodding. Like I think everybody understands. Like it is very frustrating to say this person's quality and this person's not quality, and it's like, why is this person getting decide getting to decide? So for me, I'm like, quality of hire doesn't mean anything unless you could actually attach data to it. It's interesting how I've been in a number of companies where it's been like a serious thing. And, you know, it's the people who get, I'm like, why do you get to judge if this person is quality or not? And what are the actual metrics that you're using? Like, what is this rubric? Because I'm pretty sure none of us know about it that you're decide- deciding this person's quality and this person is not quality. So, uh, and this was all attached to bonus, which I also am a person who's like, don't talk to me about a bonus unless you unless it's quantitative. I'm not interested.
2: Does your organization use Nightbox for performance management?
4: No, I never heard of that. Um, I'm also a free agent as of yesterday. So, but I Ooh. I was in communication with uh, a company called Searchlight, and they yes. help to create quantit. They make qualitative data. Qualitative. I so
1: I know those the, twins, the
4: uh, twins. I have no idea. I was only you know I had a point of contact yeah, yeah, yeah. there, but we really loved the software and the yeah. product that they had. Yeah. Um, and to make this ideal candidate profile and yep. be different per team, per role, right? Um, but like you said, it is subjective, but I think there is a self-assessment as well. Sure. So um, I don't know about attaching the bonuses to it. it yeah. It's more, I think, for the people ops team so they can yeah. kind of measure how well they're actually finding the right people for the role and the sure. company. Sure, so, sure, But yeah, attaching a bonus to it could be tricky.
1: That's the part I don't. Yeah.
2: yeah. My, my current organization and previous organization use this thing called nightbox. I don't know if anyone's yeah. familiar with it, but you assess a, a, your High team potential. And one of them on the upright side of the box Yeah. Any more
3: questions?
5: I think this is a question for Natalie. You kind of referred to how Travis created a toxic culture.
3: Yeah.
5: Is there, there
1: anyone who worked for Uber? Or was it- <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> or too late. It's too
5: <laughs> late now. So since you're investing in technical founders. Yeah primarily before they have any employees. That's right. I'm curious, do you, does bold Start pass on founders where you're, you're like this, yeah, this is probably going to create a toxic environment or do they make the investment? And then you come in and you realize, yeah, they're not really interested in what I have to say. So we're not going to go there.
1: No, I, I would say actually my so I'm not on the investment team, but I would say my, um, my investment team is pretty good about we don't work with uh, the
3: wrong types of people.
1: I know, I'm like, I'm like, I'm used to tell, doing talking things in New York, so I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna talk right like now. you guys, like we're <laughs> in New York. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. This is like, I got a foul mouth, and it came, I don't even know where it came from. <laughs> 18. oh god and yeah i came from my 18 years in new york i'm sorry but yeah so we don't um invest in assholes at all um but what i would say is we do a lot of teaching and i think that a lot of the founders that come to us actually are looking for guidance we we have a lot we actually interestingly enough bold start. The one, the VC that you've never heard of, the seed VC that you've never heard of, we have more unicorns than Andreessen, anyone who's who's invested in seed, Sequoia, et cetera. Um, but we don't invest in assholes, so that's one. And then I would say, number two, like part of um, what we wanna see when we are um, looking at deals is uh, the flexibility, the nimbleness, the openness to taking hard feedback. Cause this is not, that road is, I mean, there's a reason a lot of us are not founders. That is a hard job. And so we are, I mean, I feel like we are kind of testing them along the way, but we are very careful about where we put our money. And if there is someone who has a bad reputation People, you know, is nasty to people. It, it just won't. We will actually say goodbye to a deal because of that, as opposed to even if they're unfortunately, even if they have a great product.
0: I think I would add to that, having worked with a few of them. Yeah. They all they have a air of humility about yeah. what they don't know, which is probably why they're very good engineers.
1: That's right. That's right. That's right. So, so our people tend to be uh, very open to wanting to learn these things. They're very clear on the things that they are good at and not good
3: at. So,
2: I'd say that one thing that is consistent in yeah. early stage and <laughs> late stage, it's very same thing. And this this term was used at dot dash at times, and even today at Axios, don't hire smart assholes. Yeah, it's hundred percent literally 100%. that exact same term every single stage. All
3: three
1: companies. That's yep, exactly right. yep, yep. Maybe it's a New York. <laughs> <laughs> it's such
0: a New York thing. <laughs> New York is. Um, any more questions? We've got a couple. In the what's
5: it for the candidate, you know, and this obviously be candidate dependent. What do you think is more important, the technology they'll be working with, or the problem that's being
3: solved? Interesting.
2: That's good. I would say in. A mission-driven organization like Axios, very similar like The Times, uh, we tend to get applicants who are passionate about our mission, uh, passionate about the, the power of the journalism that the organization is doing. So we really like hone in on that, and then we'll like couple it up a little bit with like, here's the tech that, here's the tech stack that you're going to be working on, here's the systems and tools. Um, it's a little bit of a hybrid, but I would say primarily it's the 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 former of, of the the passion and the mission that they want to get behind.
1: And I would say the exact opposite for, for my, for the earlier stage people, because we're looking, we know that um, to build a good engineering team, you need to have hard problems for them to, for them to solve. Um, ideally, greenfield spaces, so spaces where no one's built before, um, excellent problem solving um, uh, abilities, And we are looking for the people who don't want to be the smartest people in the room, but are like brilliant, but still want to work with other, you know, other brilliant people. But it's about the problem solving skills. So I think, and this is actually a great um, example of the dynamic that switches from early stage to, I mean, as it is very unlikely that a person who is great in a, seed stage organization, or even a series A organization is going to be able to scale and go with a company and and into where, where, where he is. I mean, that rarely happens because you have your people who love to build, love to build from scratch, are fine with ambiguity. And then you have your people who are like, I actually want there to be a little bit of process. I want to have a team. I want to come in and be able to like Uh, assess what's going on and start to change things and optimize things. Those are two completely different side, like different DNAs. So with an earlier stage person, I'd want to understand, like, how do they problem solve as opposed to, you know, basically what, what he would be looking for as well. But that, that just shows you the dynamic of, and that's something everybody should be aware of, especially um, if you're in startups is, uh how what is the right dna for the right stage of the
2: business exactly it, and very similar we are in that aspect of looking for someone who's passionate about the mission driven by the mission it's also a retention factor as well right like a year and a year and a half in, um, how much more can we re-engage them to the company to the brand to the mission to the values um that is a retention factor as well. but two different mindsets yeah on how to recruit and in
3: depending on what yep. stage you're in. Yep. Can can put about do
2: you think you can sess put out like a resume based on what they talked about, what they did in previous job, or like mission focused or technology focused? I think or not really no short answer no. Yep. Long answer I agree. uh in the first couple of conversations that are soft skills based, whether it be, you know, assessing on their communication style, assessing on their team player approach, their collaboration approach. Um if you're in this mid-stage at 500, 800, 1,000 people, they are going to have to communicate effectively. Uh, they are going to have to work cross-functionally extremely well in a very ambiguous ambiguous way. And so that's incredibly important in, in assessing those skills out in the, the first couple of conversations. Uh,
5: hello. So, oh. You, oh. you go. Okay, okay. Uh, so I, uh, I previously worked in tech uh and i now work at an early stage startup so when i joined the startup uh, i was higher maybe number eight or nine somewhere in there uh we're up to about 30 and so it's been really unique to see the dynamic of like what it's like to hire for a big tech company and an early stage startup um a lot of similarities but plenty of differences probably more differences so than there are <laughs> uh the same uh and so this question actually piggybacks off his a little bit in terms of like okay you think about mission, you think about tech, like how are you how are you enticing these candidates? And early on, the biggest difference from working in big tech was I will try to give these candidates the white glove treatment as much as I can. We sure. have resources in the world, have all the time in the world. But at a startup, it tends to be or has been for us more mission minded. If you kind of are not on board with our product and our mission, then we kind of don't want you on our team. And we're yep. kind of upfront about that. Yep. Uh, yep. we don't want to water it down. It's like hey, we're passionate about what we're doing. Right. We're working 50 plus hours a week. this right. is not a passive mission yep. and so we kind of want to vet out the people who are watered
3: down. So yep.
5: where I kind of get conflicted where I find myself finding like okay, how am I intriguing these candidates for the process which again my, my background's big tech let me give them the white right. glove versus startup. It's like no you need I need I need to know that you want to be in here. I'm not going to white glove treatment you right. Uh, but as you said, we're in purgatory right now and it's like, okay, the, the environment's a little bit different. So I've found in myself like, okay, I've shifted towards like, I need these candidates to come to me. I give them material up front. I want them to do the homework and the research and I'm here for questions but I'm not going to hold their hand through the process. I need to know that they're capable. Uh, but I found myself like, okay, let me hold their hand a little bit more because the market is.
1: So, yeah, so I'm- you're, you're, you're nailing it. Okay. That's actually, that's actually the truth. Um, you don't have Google behind our name. So it's a, you know, that's not your email address or I'm never going to call it the M word. I'm going to call it Facebook. Um, uh, like, um, you know, you don't have these known quantities when you are a startup starting to, uh, to hire. And so, that actually makes it even harder. So it's like, you actually need to step in earlier and the white glove treatment has to, that has to actually be in there as well. But you have to be there from day one, you are taking them through this process, you are holding their hands through this process, you are making sure that their values align with this whole entire thing. But it's a completely different approach to then saying, like, I work at Salesforce and here are all the things that you're going to get to do. The, the difference with the startup thing is you talk about what is your impact going to be? What do you, you're going to get to touch things that you would never get to touch at any other organization. Like it's, it's, it's all about kind of like pointing to those things as opposed to just like, and this is the whole thing. You cannot, it cannot be like a product, 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 product
3: thing. It has to be
1: like, how am I going to grow at this company? Like, what, what am I going to do from, again, an impact perspective at this organization? And it should, it, it, the purgatory piece is where we still have to cater to them. It has to be about them. What are What do they get? And it's the employee value proposition, like what's in it for me, right?
2: And I I would also say to be incredibly diligent and specific and uh, have intention behind, like
3: when you do
2: have that unique white glove experience for a candidate and because it is a candidate driven market, candidate experience does win at the end of the day uh, when a candidate will have five offers who, where do they have the most enjoyable time candidate experience? These recruiters, you're, can manage that. Um, no matter if there is a process around it internally, you can still create a great candidate experience on your own. So find that time to, instead of working 50 hours a week, find the time to do a 10-minute prep call for a pipeline yep. of your candidates, a pipeline of SEs about to enter first round, do a 10-minute prep call, and give them materials up front or, or something of that sort. Uh, at the times, we're very upfront with all of the technical assessments. So. Every single technical assessment overview you can find in the Times Open blog, and every candidate would just refer to that as their prep material. Uh, Axios, we don't have that, so we have prep calls. Uh, and so that's a little bit of, of how we go around it. But I, especially given the state of the market and where we're at today, candidate experience will definitely yep. win at the end of the day.
0: Huh?
3: Question here. So, my question is for you, Natalie. You had mentioned earlier about um, working with clients that don't uh, really want to talk about DEI. So how do you help them see that it's an imperative that they address that, especially when it comes to talent acquisition? Um, I can tell you, so Aiden and I work at the same company. Yep. And our goal is to be 51% BIPOC by 2025. we very there you go. How big are you? By 250. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: you can do that. You oh, yeah. can do that. Oh, yeah. So my last company was a company called, uh, my last startup that I worked at was a company called Stash Invest. Um, it's, a, it's a fintech uh, app that basically teaches people who have our, who we were going after were the unbanked, the people who had been systematically left out of learning how to invest, Uh, and things like that. Um, and so how do you get them on the same page? That's hard. Like that's really hard, but the data throw, throw a rock and you'll hit a study that says the most diverse teams build the best products. It's not, this isn't like a a theory. This isn't, um, The thing I used to say to all of our employees on day one in their onboarding was, would be, um, like, we want people from, and and I actually, we did build a company that uh, we got it to 52%, everyone was a knowledge worker, uh, 52% people of color, we built a 100% 100 engineering team that we got to 30% women, which is, Like, as I told my team, like, everybody's like, oh, yeah, that's great. That's great. I'm like, let's celebrate when we're at 50. And they were not junior women. None of these employees, these were not juniors. These were all seniors. And part of that was because they saw themselves in the people that they were interviewing with. They literally saw themselves. And I can't tell you how many times people said, I joined this organization because I've never been in a, tech company where I've seen someone that looks like me and comes from the same background as me. So, I think with that, it's purely data. And it is the easiest thing to find data on, it is the easiest thing, but the one point I would say is if they are not on board, and I mean 100% on board, and what that means is things are going to take longer, probably. You're going to have to interview a lot more people. If they're not on board, don't touch it because it has to come from the top. And if it's not that important to them, I, I, don't, I don't want to do anything that is performative when it comes to DEI. So for me, if I have a founder who's like, yeah, but, you know, we just want the best person and that's probably going to be like this guy or whatever I, I, clear, I'm like, okay, so this is not an approach that they really give a shit about. So we're just gonna let we're gonna let that one go. Mm-hmm. That's just not gonna be, not gonna be a thing for them.
2: Do you have any ERGs in your workplace? Oh yeah, oh, great. One avenue to explore: just partnering with them, um, partnering with your ERGs in the hiring front. Um, you could, uh, in some cases, let's say you have uh, a group of finalists. Do they want to have an a exploratory call with one of the members of the ERGs, one of the leaders of the ERGs? We used it as a sell tactic uh, at the time. Absolutely. I do the exact same thing at Axios. Uh, it's an incredible sell tactic to let the candidate know this is exactly the type of culture that you're about to walk into. Uh, the uh, How we truly treat DEI here, not just from a recruiting
3: standpoint. Ada is our DEI specialist in our, she actually, <laughs> Love came, it. she's on my team. So, Great. and so she's part of the interviewing process. Someone from our ERG is part of the interviewing process. So we kind of rotate it like mm-hmm. that. So people know <laughs> our data is visual on our website. Everybody can right. see what we look like mm-hmm. internally. And That's our right. founders are extremely intentional about it. They are. That's right. And They're Middle Eastern and Chinese. They're nice. Chinese. Chinese. So, so very intentional about that. right? leadership team looks right. like that. So, um, some of the things that you're mentioning, um, it, and you're right, it's a slow crawl. Yep. It, it
1: really is. Yep. Uh, but, but you know what, here's the thing. I, I've told everyone this, like, you can change it. Mm-hmm. You can actually grow that population if you're doing the right activities. Mm-hmm. And part of that is something so simple as, if you're trying to pull in neurodiverse people. Let's talk about something that, like we talk about diversity being like people of color, et cetera. Let's talk about neurodiverse people, which we know in tech, that's like huge. Have a person who is neurodiverse on your interview panel.
2: Or running the technical assessment.
1: Or running the yeah. te- technical assessment. And let the, the when the candidate starts to see Themselves reflected by the other employees. That's what brings people to you because you see someone who is being really successful in their role, and um, and you know maybe they've never even seen that before.
2: Honestly, at the times there were three very specific rules when it came to recruiting that we had to abide by. One was having an equal number of underrepresented candidates at each stage of the process yep. it was mandated. So in yep. turn, we didn't actually, well, we did measure time to hire, but from the top, we didn't care about time to hire. We cared about the quality of the hire uh, and ensuring that that was the right person in the right spot. Two was ensuring uh, a diverse interviewing channel. Just, yep. just like you said, mm-hmm. the candidate can experience um, exactly who they'd be working with and a uh, Range of underrepresented talent from there, um, and three was on the uh, if we did not meet any of those, we would have to bucket that role into a different like spreadsheet, and we would track like at the end of the year, like this is why this is the exception that had to be made, etc. But like those were some easy, vi- a very easy formula that increased our the number of underrepresented hires, and I think like during. Uh, 2020 summer of 2020 and the aftermath of the murder of George Floyd and the height of black lives matter movement I want to say maybe it was like second half of 2020 like 80% oh. of our hires came from underrepresented groups mm-hmm. everyone was incredibly bought into it so it's those those very simple rules yield very high results
4: yep yeah and for me like gone are there days where i allow a hiring manager to use not a good culture fit mm. as an excuse uh, because
1: that's that's uh i heard someone say that on one of, one of my founders say that i'm not gonna mention names but i was like yeah we don't say that yeah, I- anymore we call about we say yeah. culture add like yeah. who yeah. is going to add to what we already have like it's also, I will just say, if anyone's using culture fit, I'll give you a great example of why not to use it, which is uh, one of my VP of sales, let a sales candidate go and said it was because it wasn't a good culture fit. And he happened to be um, like Armenian or something like that. And he was like, Oh, really? You're going to, like, he took it as his personal culture, which could, which someone could easily do. And, like, what I tell all my um, companies now, and everyone should know this, like, uh, what used to be an HR nightmare for us is now a PR nightmare for us. So they are always, it could be on Twitter before you leave that room. So, um, just be super, super, super thoughtful about that.
0: Uh, cool. Thank you very much. Um, we're going to say thank you to this panel. You've got time for one toilet bathroom break, one beer, and, and then you can come back in ready for the enterprise panel. Okay, thank you.